Well, I want to speak to you today a little bit about the topic of heavenly fire. Heavenly fire. We get lots of songs about the fire falling and people praying, Lord, send more fire. But what do we actually mean when we speak about a heavenly fire? What will happen when the fire of the Holy Spirit falls in an increasingly powerful way? What should we expect? Are we just going to stand there burning? Or are actual things going to take place in our life and circumstances when the heavenly fire falls to earth? I've decided to begin in Revelation chapter 8, where we'll see uh, prophetically and apocalyptically an image of fire, heavenly fire, coming from heaven to earth. And you'll notice that the prayers of God's saints are linked very much to this. So Revelation chapter 8 and verse 1. When the Lamb broke the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. Another angel came and stood at the altar, holding a golden censer, and much incense was given to him, so that he might add it to the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints went up before God out of the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with the fire for, of the altar and threw it to the earth. And there follows peals of thunder, sounds and flashes of lightning and an earthquake. And the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound them. I think that here is a little bit of a picture of how the revival fire of God comes or how God steps in in extraordinary ways. Thank God for what theologically we would term the ordinary work of the Holy Spirit. Now, nothing that the Holy Spirit does is ordinary, but we use this term ordinary work of the Holy Spirit to talk about what God does in his church and through his church, day in, day out, week in, week out, month in, month out, year. It's God working. People are getting saved. People are, are experiencing here and there healings and interventions and answering of prayers. There's beautiful anointing in the worship service. It, it's all going, but it's, it, it's, it's going along. It, it, we're grateful. We're happy but we sense that there must be more. And, and what if God came more powerfully than this? So often there are uh, times, long times and seasons of the ordinary work of the Holy Spirit. As I said, the term ordinary does not mean that what he does is, is ordinary, but compared to the extraordinary work of the Holy Spirit compared to when the Holy Spirit comes in power and fire, well then, the day-to-day -day life of the church where there's salvations and blessing is ordinary. One of the first things we need to recognise is that ordinary is not enough. Are you satisfied with your present level of spiritual relationship with the Lord? Are you satisfied with the state of your cell group or your church? Are you happy with the spirituality of London or the spirituality of the church in general? 
Are you happy about the work of the Holy Spirit that's taking place in Europe? If you say, I'm more than happy and I'm satisfied with what God is doing in my life, in Britain, and in Europe today, then uh, you seriously need your head testing. <laughs> we thank God for the work that he's done. Thank God for what he's done in our lives. But can you imagine or envision what your life would look like, my life would look like, this church, this city, this nation, this Europe, if the Holy Spirit came in acts to power and fire. We've seen it in the past. God gives us the history of revival. I've written a book, you can get it. It's three pounds, that's how cheap it is. That's how popular it is. We sell it for three pounds. But in that is little snapshots of times when God sent his fire in Great Britain, right from the early Middle Ages, where the ordinary work of God working behind the scenes and people getting saved is suddenly changed by an extraordinary interventory period of the Holy Spirit coming in fire and intensity and passion. I'm going to speak about that in a bit. Now back to this passage in Revelations 8, the first thing we see before this fire falls, and I'm using this as a template, is that the Lamb breaks the seal and the silence in heaven for about half an hour. Before there's intercession, before there's movement from the throne, before fire from God's altar comes crashing down in power on the earth, and the trumpets of the angels begin to blow the advance of God's kingdom. Before these things happen, there is revelation. God speaks a word to his church of preparation. This seal is something that was a message uh, from God that was sealed for the appropriate time. Then at the appropriate time, God begins to place his revelation in his people's heart. And people begin to hunger for more. And people begin to see visions of more. And people begin to say, the ordinary is not enough. How can we move and see the extraordinary take place? No, this isn't the people themselves out of their own innate fervor drumming up this desire. There's, there's plenty of false passion in the church, false excitement driven by excited flesh or hopes of personal enhancement or personal glory. But this is the, the seal that was broken, and for half an hour, everybody just stopped about what the seal had been broken. The time had come. The word had been spoken. And people were just listening, and receiving that word that was there. God has been speaking to his church. The first thing we have to say is, are we silent enough to hear what God is saying to the churches? Earlier on in Revelation, we heard that it said again and again and again, seven times, hear what the Spirit is saying to the seven churches. And the Holy Spirit had a word, a seal, if you like, that he broke at the right time to deliver the right message to the right church at the right time. And it was a message of encouragement, but also a message of rebuke, because it was also a message of preparation. Then after this speaking, this initiating of something new by the Holy Spirit, we then see that we have incense in heaven. 
incense, a picture of worship, a picture of glory rising to the throne. And the angel has the incense, but what does he do? He adds to it something from the earth. In order to make up this heavenly fire, there is substance from heaven mixed with substance from earth. Without the prayers of the saints, this incense could not be used and brought before God and put on the fire of the altar. And so here we see the angel is prepared with this incense of glory and worship and honour. But the angel is looking for another ingredient to light the fire and to send something that's going to shake reality down on the earth. He's waiting for the prayers of the saints. The best thing that you can give God right now is your prayers. God is waiting on his people and he's waiting for them to wait on him, to clear the boards, to come to him, to seek and keep seeking, ask and keep asking, knock and keep knocking, knowing that sooner or later our father who's a good father in heaven isn't going to answer our prayers with, with bad things, but he's going to send his Holy Spirit seeking asking, knocking. And while we're doing that, what we're doing is faith-filled, heartfelt prayers are being ascending to the heaven. How many of you know your prayers spiritually have physical substance? Your prayers spiritually have physical substance. An angel can gather the prayers and add it to the substance of the glory of the incense in heaven. You say, how, that, how is that possible? It's spiritual. It's spiritual. And so as prayers ascend, something begins to take place in heaven. We don't know, at the time very often, what our prayers are doing in heaven. We don't know the effects of our prayers. That's why Jesus said after the Lord's Prayer, keep seeking, keep seeking, keep knocking, keep knocking, don't give up, keep asking, keep asking, keep going, keep believing, God's good, he hasn't forgotten you, keep, keep, keep on keeping on. That's the message of Jesus about prayer after the Lord's Prayer. Because at the moment, we don't know, I hope prophetically I'm encouraging you, when we don't see the power, we don't know what's going on in heaven, but our prayers are part of a heavenly preparation to send a heavenly fire. I don't want to spend too long in this passage, but you see the prayers of the saints are mixed with the incense and it goes before God. And then the angel takes a censer and um, fills the fire from the altar and throws it to earth. Suddenly there is a heavenly thunderstorm. Not an ordinary little rain coming down, but a thunderstorm. Have you ever been in a powerful thunderstorm? Have you ever been in a place, I remember in Florida, I was in the most incredible thunder and lightning storm. In the morning everything was fine, but they said there's a big thunderstorm coming in. And you began to feel it, you began to smell it, and then it began to erupt. And it was just the most incredible outpouring of rain that I had ever experienced. The thunder, the lightning. And I went to my, um, my I was staying in, in Disney at the time. So I went to my Mickey Mouse balcony there. And I looked out and I just opened the windows. And I just stood there. And I just thought, this is incredible how the whole atmosphere can change from a sunny morning to this. 
That's the difference between the ordinary, normal work of the Holy Spirit and the extraordinary when the fire of the Holy Spirit came. I was driving home from work one day on the A40 and I was driving in my car and I was thinking about the next book that I was going to write. This is quite a few years ago. And the book was going to be called End Times Truths, all about the end times. Um, you say you haven't written it. No, I got too confused. And so I gave it up. But I was thinking about the first chapter, where I, which I did write, which was all about Jesus coming soon. That, there, that Jesus was coming sooner than anybody would think, and that was going to be an inbreaking and an unexpected appearing of Jesus that so many people wouldn't be ready for, but then it'd be too late. And I thought to myself, that will happen when Jesus fully returns, but there are times when he sends seasons of, of powerful falling of the Holy Spirit. And I was thinking about this, Jesus coming soon, and uh, what, what it would be like. And then and I was driving, and everything was fine, the clouds were there, and then suddenly it seemed out of nowhere it began to hailstorm. And the hails came so thick and hard and fast on the A40 that even with your windscreen wipers doing this, you couldn't see. Whatever was on the road, we just had to stop. You couldn't move forward. And I'm sitting there in the car, and I can't see out of the window, and the hail is bouncing, and you can imagine the noise of the hail on the roof. And, 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 you know, and I just thought, this is incredible. One moment I'm driving down the road and thinking about my book, and the next moment I have to stop, and the whole environment and atmosphere has changed. And I heard this echo in my heart from the Holy Spirit, and he said, uh, and it was, he was speaking, it was like Jesus through his Holy Spirit. He said, so shall my day be. So shall my day be. But there are, but there are storms that become, there are storms of the Holy Spirit that come before the great storm where Jesus returns. Uh, th these are the birth pangs of the final coming of the Holy Spirit. Every revival is a sample and foretaste of the greatest revival when Jesus himself returns. And so we see that fire begins to be poured out. And now it's not just your normal average rain. In order for the flowers to go, God sends the rain in season and out of season. The rain of the Holy Spirit is normally there and allowing there to be growth in the church, and, and it's all going very well. But when the fire falls, so does the thunderstorm come. And then when that comes, everything changes. Now, what happens when the heavenly fire falls? What happens when the Holy Spirit comes in power? What should we expect? What should we prepare for? What should we long for? I said that the pursuit of seeking God is an end in itself because, in, because when you seek God, you get more out of seeking God than you do when you find any of the answers you're seeking him for. It's the process that matters even more than the end result. And so the pursuit of heavenly fire, revival, outpouring, the pursuit of these things is also an end in itself. Seeking God for more changes you. Believing God for a breakthrough changes you. Pressing in, saying no to the ordinary, banging on the doors of heaven, 
not being, uh, not allowing yourself to be a thermometer to the current spirituality around you, but turning the thermostat of your faith on high and believing for more and praying for more and suffering in your soul because you want more and, and, and desiring more and anguishing more and sorrowing more and seeing the state of things as they really are and not just as you would like them to be. The sobering of seeking God for a move of God. The changing, the sanctifying work. The pursuit of the Holy Spirit coming in power is an end in itself. And also a preparation for when he comes. Because when the Holy Spirit comes in true power, in these seasons, you and I had better be solid, anchored and ready. Otherwise, we will ruin the move of God and the move of God will ruin us. There's so many people that think they're ready for revival. So many preachers and teachers and the leaders of which I'm one, we're the worst offenders. Somehow believing that God's going to use us. Oh, use me, Lord. Let me be the one that you're going to use. These very words are inappropriate. And this idea that we're going to be used by God in revival, it's inappropriate. Some of the greatest revivalists in the past there was one particular person in the revival of the primitive Methodist, an incredible preacher. The fire fell on every preach. He preached with a bag on his head. Why? Because he was so humble. He didn't want to see. He didn't want people to see him. Yes, and he also didn't want to see the people. He just wanted to preach. Extraordinary people in extraordinary times with extraordinary deep levels of humility. We better be ready for when the Holy Spirit comes and thank God he gives us time to prepare and seek him for it. The seeking and the praying for the fire is so that when the fire comes we're ready to, 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 to be used by it. When the Holy Spirit comes, when the fire of the Holy Spirit comes, John prophesied, he said, I baptize you in water. There's a lot of people that baptize in water today, figuratively speaking. I'm not talking about the baptism, the believer's baptism. I'm about people who are taking natural things and calling it God. Uh, taking excitement, fleshly excitement, fleshly experience and saying, there's the fire. It's, we've heard it so many times, there's the fire, here's the fire, that we've grown tired of the false fire or the lack of true fire that burns in the soul of a man and woman, burns out sin, causes them to be set on flame, never to be the same, turning their lives round and turning their lives around them around too. It's a move of God. John said, I baptise in water. But he that is mightier than me will baptise you with the Holy Ghost and fire. A baptism of fire, an immersion of fire, a plunging into the fire of God. Well, what does that fire bring when it comes? The fire of the Holy Spirit will bring power. The fire of the Holy Spirit, secondly, will bring purity. The fire of the Holy Spirit, thirdly, will bring presence. And fourthly, and most importantly, the fire of the Holy Spirit will bring person. Firstly, power. You shall be clothed with power from on high, was the promise to the disciples. And what did they do? They retired to the upper room, the few of them. There'd been some wonderful, extraordinary moves of the Holy Spirit in the last three years under Jesus and under his disciples, but now everything had receded. Jesus was raised from the dead, 
Uh, but the disciples were told not to go out until they had been set ablaze by the fire of the Holy Spirit. And on the day of Pentecost, during the baptism of the Holy Spirit, one of the things that they were immersed in when the fire of God fell and tongues of fire were on their head, one of the things that they were immersed in was power. Power. Are we ready to handle spiritual power? As I said, I'm a leader too. But one of the greatest faults of leaders in Europe today is that they think they're qualified to handle the power of God when they can barely handle the power of looking after their family. The power of God, when it comes in fire, heals. But not healings just that are like, well, I had an itch and now I've scratched. But power that comes and totally revolutionizes communities by miracles. We all pray we want miracles. Can we handle miracles? Because those that receive great acts of authority and power are also expected to respond in great holiness and faith. Woe to you, Bethshan and Chorazin. For if the works that had been done in you that had been done in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented. Imagine that. They're having revivals in these areas. Capernaum, Bethsaida, Chorazda. They're, they're having revivals, miracles, healings. And they're thinking, isn't this great? The favor of the Lord, the favor of the Lord. And then Jesus said, you, you think that's favor? Because you have not responded in your heart to the miracles of God is going to be worse for you than Sodom and Gomorrah. In fact, if I had come to Sodom and Gomorrah and done these healings, they would have repented. This is sobering stuff, friends. You can't play with the fire of God. You say to kids, be careful with matches. Well, you've got to watch it with matches. But when the fire falls, playground is over. And you say, well, what do you mean? I mean, God wants to use us with power. But if God wants us to use us with power, we need the second thing that the fire brings. And if we choose only sections of what the fire brings and forget other parts of what the fire brings, you know, you don't, you don't go to the fire and say, I'll have that little orange bit on the top, but I don't want the white bit in the middle. When the fire comes, it consumes. The fire is the fire. That's what it is. And so it's not enough just to have power. Purity. Fire baptized. When the Holy Spirit comes in fire, great opportunities for personal advancement in knowing the Lord come into our lives. Great opportunities for chain breaking in the soul and in the mind come when the Holy Spirit comes in fire. I remember once in the early days uh, that I've been at Kensington Temple, I've been at Kensington Temple since the summer of 1990. And in the early days, as a young minister here, we had Colin Urquhart, a great man of God, come for a three-day conference on holiness. I remember sitting over there in the transept. 
And during that time, he just spoke. It was so gracious, so loving, but so powerful. There was a, a, a spirit of holiness. There was like a fire burning. And it was like it was, it, was, it was a beautiful thing. It wasn't forced. Colin Urquhart is a wonderful, gentle man and a powerful teacher. It was like the anointing was just cleansing and burning things and desires that were there seemed to be get, getting burnt up and, and, and levels of faith and levels of desire for God in these three days, it just all seemed to, to, to flow in us. It was, it was like God had just lifted us into a different realm where sin wasn't as powerful in us or around us that it was before. I'll never forget it, three days. For the rest of the week, if I sinned, I wasn't aware of it. Not that I was going counting sins, but I was just walking in this place of freedom and liberty and closeness to the Lord that had been released in that, in that time. And then it sort of faded, and I went back to believing God and day by day. But there was another time later on in the 90s when uh, I was uh, hosting Colin Urquhart. Colin was on his trip, and Colin Urquhart came to our tabernacle venue. And I said to him, you know when you came that time five, six years ago? He said, you know, there was such a powerful fire that was burning and flowing that, you know, I didn't want to sin. Things were so much easier. And, and, it, and I said, you know what? I know it sounds embarrassing, but for a whole week, if I sinned, I didn't know it. And he said to me, Bruce, there's been seasons where we've had months of that. The Holy Spirit coming in great power. And, and turning hearts to him. And, and, and we spoke about that. We said that during these times, you don't take them for granted. It's not like the God comes in fire and he's dealing with, dealing with the issues of the heart and he's freeing and he's breaking and he's smashing sin. And these are the times where we dig deep into the word. These are opportunities for our roots to go deeper because seasons of God come and go. So when the season comes, you've got to grab it with both hands. I didn't really understand what I was doing when he came for that three days. I tell you what, if I had those three days again, I'd be very different in the way that I dealt with it and worked it through. I'd be a lot more serious. I'd be a, a lot more understanding the favour of God has come. God has come in his fire of burning holiness and there's liberty here and freedom and there's a power that's not normally here and I need to make the most of this press on in and make sure it does its full job because if then the Holy Spirit wave withdraws and sometimes when he withdraws his wave it's his purpose as well so that then we can work through what he's done in his grace. So there'll be times of, of great dealings of the heart. Not, nothing to do with condemnation. Everything to do with liberty, freedom, dealing with things. Even as you seek for the Lord, many of these things are happening. Even before the fire falls, many saints are being free because they're seeking for the fire to fall. And everything else is taking its place, in, uh, is, is taking its rightful place. Power. Fire of God will bring power. But don't get distracted by that. Because the power of God will also bring purity. Sometimes people, they'll move in the power, and they think that because they're, they're moving in the power, they don't need to be pure. But the power is there to turn us to the things of God. His holiness, His fear, His grace, His mercy, opportunities, seasons of refreshing. Power, purity, presence. When the fire falls, you can feel it. You can sense it. You can sense it spiritually. 
You can sense it in your mind. Sometimes you'll sense it physically. God sends fire. You feel the burning of the Lord, the presence of the Lord. And God sometimes sends measures of this to get us hungry. He gives us a sample, a teaser, something to, to ready for the main event, ready for the main meal. And when you have a teaser in your life, if you feel hunger in your life, if you feel the touch of God, it's God wooing you, saying, do you want more? Do you want more? Some of you remember times past when, when you had such experiences. Remember them again. Visit those experiences again that you've had in times past because God is fixing on bringing them again. His presence. Just Him being with us. We sing the songs about the presence and sometimes we can do lovely songs that touch us emotionally and we call that the presence. It's not the presence. The presence is different. When you're on a platform and you see the presence come, you can see it on everybody. You can see the congregation when the presence comes. It's, it's, not, an, it's not an emotional thing. It's a spiritual thing that touches the emotions. Power comes when the fire of God comes. Purity comes when the fire of God comes. Presence comes when the fire of God comes. People just get saved. People, people just feel something happening. They walk in and they feel God. God's all over you, God's all over me, God's all over them. God starts appearing and his presence starts falling in the most unlikely places and causing people who hardly know anything about the Lord to come to him. And finally, person. Power, purity, presence and person. You see, the power's great, the purity's great, the presence is great, but it's the person that is the most important thing. And when the Holy Spirit comes in power sorry, in fire, guess what? He comes himself. He comes himself and he brings with him Jesus and the words of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus and the presence of Jesus and the character of Jesus and the feelings of Jesus and the emotions of Jesus. And he makes Jesus known in extraordinary ways. And we begin to feel Jesus' heart beating so strongly. And we feel what Jesus feels about ourselves. And it makes us sorrowful. Other times, his love makes us joyful. And at the altar, tears mixed with joy as Jesus comes amongst us and reveals himself and by his Holy Spirit comes close. And we get to know the Lord as a person like we've never known him before. If we want a move of God, or the fire to fall, or a reviving touch, or an outpouring, these are the things that we should expect. Power, but that is the least important thing. Purity, presence, and person. I want to move to the next section of what I want to speak tonight on preparation. We spoke about these four things, but let me also say something and look at this a different way. The question, what happens when the Holy Spirit falls? I've answered it in one way, but now let me answer it another way. What happens when the Holy Spirit comes in extraordinary power? What happens when his presence, his power, his purity, and his person come? What, what happens? What's it going to look like? What should we expect in our meetings and in our lives? Well, when the Holy Spirit comes, everything becomes amplified. You ever got those big speakers? And you're listening, and then your favorite song comes in. 
and you turn it up and you stick bass on it and boof, and, and, and it's amplified. It's the same music, but it's amplified. And music lovers will get the best amplifiers that they can so that they can get the best, loudest sound that they can. It amplifies. So when the Holy Spirit comes in extraordinary ways, he comes to amplify what he's already doing in the ordinary times. Remember what I said about the ordinary? It's ordinary compared to the extraordinary. So the Holy Spirit isn't, in a sense, doing something new. He's just amplifying what he's already doing in our lives. It's just bigger, better, brighter, louder. Now, three things are amplified when the Holy Spirit comes in power. And you need to be aware, and beware, of each of these three amplifications. Otherwise, you'll get confused. The first thing that comes when the Holy Spirit comes in power when the fire really begins to fall, is there is an amplification of the gifts of the Spirit and salvation. You see this with Jesus. When he was baptized with the Holy Spirit, went out and dealt with the devil, then he began his ministry. Wherever he went, miracles were taking place. Salvations were taking place. Just an amplification. There was, there was times where everybody got healed. There was such an amplification of the healing of an anointing that anybody in that place that was there sick got healed. Every single one of them. The presence of the Lord was there to heal. This is what we're talking about, a heavenly fire. And it was there in such intensity. See, when the Holy Spirit comes in power... Things that are already working in the church amplify and intensify. Hear what I'm saying? And multiply. When the Holy Spirit comes in power, what he's already doing ordinarily in the church, they amplify, they intensify, and they multiply. We see that in the ministry of Jesus. So that's why we expect, we expect when the Holy Spirit moves, there'll be miracles, prophecy, gifts of the Holy Spirit. All these things will amplify. All these things will intensify. All these things will multiply. It's a sign of the moving of God. But secondly, also we will find that what will amplify, intensify, and multiply during the heavenly fire being poured out is the work of the enemy. Work of the enemy. When the Holy Spirit comes in power, the enemy rises up to challenge. It's a little bit like a wasp's nest or a bee's nest or something like that. You leave it be and there'll be a few bees around. There'll be a few wasps bothering you. You know what I mean? Trying to get in your Guinness, uh, Chris, and stuff like that. And, and they're there. But what happens when you find a wasp's nest and you start beating it? What happens when you go to a beehive and start kicking it? What happens? You know what happens. Those wasps are going to get agitated. And, though, and those little wasps that were stinging here and there, they're going to get themselves very, very angry. When the Holy Spirit comes in power, it's nothing to be frightened about, but the devil will rear his... He will rear up and he will attack the work of God. If we understand that, we'll be able to deal with that. You see this again and again in the Acts of the Apostles. When they preach the gospel, they invariably end up beaten up or in jail or some sorcerer gets... But in the end, there's a, there's a literal battle between the kingdom of God 
The kingdom of God is in power. The kingdom of darkness hates it. It's been lying dormant or been ruling, challenges this new kingdom, and then is defeated, and the gospel and the kingdom grows. But Jonathan Edwards, the great revivalist, warned that in every move of God, you should expect a move of the enemy. And if you expect it, you'll be ready for it. Look at Jesus. Wherever he went, the devils were crying out. He couldn't walk down, down a street quietly without inciting the enemy. When the Holy Spirit comes, when the fire falls, it incites and angers the enemy. So Jesus would just be happily walking down a street and then someone would start manifesting. We know who you are. You're the son of God. And Jesus would say, oh, do shut up. And while you're shutting up, come out. Wouldn't he? And the word he used for shut up was be muzzled. Like dogs being muzzled, barking, barking, barking. So wherever Jesus went, he didn't call for deliverance. The demons hated the presence and fire of God that was on him. And so erupted. So when the Holy Spirit comes in fire, you're going to find a lot of dormant demons starting to get very angry. But don't worry about it. Because it's all about casting them out of the places that they've been so, un so comfortable and unchallenged for so long. You'll be surprised the sort of people that get delivered when the Holy Spirit comes in fire. Starts with the leaders and all their dormant demons working through fleshly, fleshly plans, arrogance. There's a lot of demons that will be agitated, incited. So the Holy Ghost will come. Signs, wonders, miracles, gifts of the Holy Spirit amplified, intensified, multiplied. But then you'll find also that the enemy will become provoked, agitated, irritated. And so his work will also be intensified, amplified and uh, multiplied. But that's what we want. We want to flush out the enemy and clear, clear the ground. But if you don't realise we're flushing out the enemy and the enemy starts appearing, you're going to be saying, what's all this? Oh, maybe this isn't God at all. Maybe this is the enemy. Oh, I don't agree with that. Or, or the devil in you, you know, I'm speaking generally, the, you know, yeah, I don't, I'm not being offensive. The devil in you is going to start not liking the God in you. So, spiritual gifts, signs, wonders, miracles, healings, amplified, salvations, encounters with God, amplified, intensified, multiplied. The devil's work, amplified, intensified, multiplied. We're flushing him out. The Holy Spirit is well, the first thing Je the Holy Spirit did with Jesus when he was baptized with the Holy Spirit. It says in Mark, he ekbalowed him. That's Greek. It says as soon as Jesus was baptized with the Holy Spirit, it says the Holy Spirit threw him into the wilderness to deal with the devil. So the Holy Spirit is like, now you've been baptized, Jesus. It's time to flush out the devil. It's going to happen. And finally... The third thing that will be amplified, intensified, and multiplied when, a heavenly, when the heavenly fire falls and the move of God comes is the flesh. When the Holy Spirit comes, the works of the Spirit and the gospel will be amplified. The works of the enemy will be amplified in order to be pulverized. But finally, when the Holy Spirit comes in fire, when power the flesh will arise. You know Galatians chapter 5. 
The flesh wars against the spirit. And the spirit wars against the flesh. They don't like each other. How many of you know that the spirit hates the flesh? The flesh is that part that does not believe in God. That part that rebels against God. That part that wants to go its way. That lawless part uh, that, that, that there is a, a, res, a residual in all of, in all of us that uh, won't be dealt with till Jesus returns. But when that flesh comes, it's going to rise up. The flesh, when the spirit rises up, the flesh rises up and battle takes place. So if you've got problems with the flesh now, You wait till the Holy Spirit comes. But listen, the Holy Spirit allows these fleshly things to manifest so that they can be crucified, killed, exterminated, destroyed, and be delivered. Now, if you say, I've got problems with the flesh, join the club. But how many, you don't have to answer, how many of you would like to deal with these things and be free for them? If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, then you know that you may be struggling with the flesh, but you, you, don't, you wish you could overcome the flesh. Well, in the times when the Holy Spirit comes, if you desire, Lord, help me to, to deal with these things that are hindering me, help me, he will. It, it's a great time to get before the altar. It's a great time to crucify the flesh. It's a great time to repent. Repentance is simply turning to God's direction. Repentance is a joyous thing. It's not about, oh, I'm such a miserable sinner. Oh, God, you hate me. Repentance is, I'm walking away from all of this. I, I'm, I'm going to leave all this thing behind by the power of the Holy Spirit. But there will be those during revival that will not humble themselves. You see, the key to understanding when God sends his Spirit is to be humble of heart. And the problem is when the power comes and the presence comes and the person comes, then if we don't humble ourselves, we'll start to get proud. We'll start to say, I want a piece of that action. Simon Magus, I, I, I want to pray for people and see them receive the Holy Spirit. How much does it cost? Or people will start coming through our doors and we'll start to think we're somebody we're not. Look at how many have been added to my local church in the last three months. Time for me to resign from the local church and go on the big circuit where the money's made across the world. I'll go to that big conference, that big conference, and tell them about what God's doing in my local church, and I'll get loads of money, loads of fame, loads of television. You should be back in your local church, stewarding the revival, because it does need stewarding. So there will be those who are fleshly and don't want to be dealt with fleshly, and, and they will be exposed. One of the things that has been added to me in an embryonic form, and then on this I close and we're going to pray, an embryonic form that has been added into my life, just in a small way, it's a baby, baby adding, is the fear of the Lord. Now, the fear of the Lord is clean. Now, before you know the fear of the Lord, you need to know the intimacy and the absolute unconditional acceptance of the Lord for you. You need to know he loves you. Whatever, he loves you. Whatever, he loves you. Whatever, he loves you. He just loves you and accepts you as you are. I, I think of God as like being the king on the throne. And the first thing you do when you become a Christian is you're a baby believer. And when you're a baby believer, what you need is to be cuddled by the king on the throne who's your father. He's just adopted you. You know you've been adopted? And so the first thing to learn is to be that helpless new babe in the kingdom of God. 
and the, God, and the Father's there, the, and he's just kissing you, loving you, changing your diapers, spiritually speaking, caring for you. When you cry, he feeds you at a moment's notice. He's not going to send you to bed and say, you'll just have to learn how to sleep in that cot. I'm not going to pick you up. Every time you cry, he'll pick you up. He's loving. And you learn, and as a little toddler, you learn the love of your father. That's, that, is, that must be known first before the fear of the Lord. But the time comes up when surely that child will come to the place where they begin to realize that daddy is also the king of the universe who judges nations. Who judges nations. Who will judge the quick and the dead. And begin to realize, oh my God. Daddy is powerful. And he doesn't take fools lightly. And he can do whatever he wants to do. And he's asking me to grow up a little bit and trust him. And I know he loves me because I've been a baby in his arms. But now he's doing things that are scary. Now he's letting happen things that I didn't expect. And I'm beginning to, to know that although I'm the baby on his lap, he's become mysterious. Sovereign, unfathomable. I thought I'd worked him all out. Now, the more I thought I've worked him all out, the more I realize that I don't understand him at all. And once you begin to taste that, things begin to change. You begin to view things differently. You begin to view God differently, and maturity comes in to be added to that knowledge that whatever happens, you're always going to be his baby boy. And you begin to see his works in the earth. And his works in the earth are awesome, amazing, wonderful. But they're also horrifying. You begin to understand truths that are amazing, wonderful, loving and glorying. But you also understand truths of heaven and hell that are horrifyingly true. And beyond our reason or ability to cope or even to comprehend or even to assimilate or digest. But you step back like Moses and you say, this is too much for me, I better take my shoes off. And that ingredient of the fear of the Lord stabilizes you, sanctifies you, and also means that when the heavenly fire comes, you are ready to be a steward. You know how it's going to come. Power is available. Purity, power purity is available. Presence is going to come. The person's going to be revealed. You know how it's going to come. In whatever form or variety, these are the things you're looking for. But you also know there's going to be an amplification of soul winning, signs, wonders and miracles, interventions. But you're also ready for the amplification of the enemy. Flush him out, drive him out. And you also know that the flesh also will rear itself in order to be crucified or for those that won't move with the convicting work of the Holy Spirit, they will be exposed.